it was a wild time. I like I couldn't I couldn't believe I was submitting that patch. I already like kinda hated C and C. Now I extremely hate C and C. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I want those things eradicated from the earth. <laughs> uh, so much of the world is written in that, though, right? That's fine. <laughs> Re- rewrite everything in Rust. I don't mind. I don't mind that. <laughs> we'll we'll recover. I don't. Honestly, I like Rust a lot. I don't even care if it's Rust. Use whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Rewrite the world in fourth. I don't care. <laughs> Just get, just relieve me of C++, please. Rewrite the world in Commodore Basic, it'll be better than this. My name is Skolp Nettling, and this is the Mechanical Inc. Podcast. A podcast about open source, the open web, sustainability, and those who want to make the web and the world a better place. And welcome to the Mechanical Ink Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a huge pleasure. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump right into into the conversation um, by having you introduce yourself. Like, what are your interests? What gets you up in the morning? Oh goodness, what a question! Uh, hi, I my name is Molly Howell. I am a front end engineer slash lead for Mozilla. Uh, I've been there since. Goodness, I'm going to have to think about that. I've been there since 2017 now. Uh, no, that's not true. 2015. I had to correct myself twice. That's how long it's been. Uh, yeah, uh, that's what I do for, for my job in my spare time. I am a kind of retro computing video game enthusiast. Uh, I like playing with old computers and old software and operating systems and sometimes you know, trying to update them for more, you know, modern systems. And sometimes I, I like to take them as they are. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I do. Super interesting. I really like the retro computers and stuff. There's somebody that I'm not sure if they're still at Mozilla, but that I work with when I, because I'm also at Mozilla, uh, truth be told, I'm a contractor, but I've been there since 2011. Um, so all that, but um, there's somebody there I worked with a long time ago. Uh, I forget his name. Oh, goodness, that's horrible for me. But anyway, he also has this fascination, and I always see stuff on Mastodon that he's sharing, like he's got this old Commodore 64 working again, and da 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 da. And it's always so cool to see these things because, like, it brings back all these memories for me. Um, and on that topic, uh, we'll dive into that uh, in detail a little more. But um, so one of the places I found some info about you is on Polywork, which is also a website I'm on. Um, quite interesting. Um, it's still I'm still unsure what to make of it. I understand what it's about, and I like the polyworking aspect of Same. it. Same. But it's it's kind of like they haven't quite found their feet. It's as if they're still experimenting with what they want to be. Um, but what I could learn from yeah, there... Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So what I could learn from there is that some of the topics that you mentioned that you're interested in is open source, JavaScript, and mentoring. So on the topic of mentoring, um, what advice do you have for mentors in general? And then what role do you see open source play when it comes to mentoring? Well... It, so for general advice, it depends on what the topic is, of course, but you know, what I'm, what topic I'm, I'm mentoring someone for, of course. But in, in general, what I like to focus on in, you know, in a lot of aspects of my, my work and my life, what I like to focus on is uh, taking time to see other people as people. Uh, and that applies to everybody, right? That applies to people you're working with. That applies to your users. That applies to the world at large, right? Everybody applies to the person you're mentoring as well. Uh, you you have to think of them as a person as well. Um, but that's really that's what I always try to get across is, you know, whoever it is that's on the other side of the screen is a unique person, just as you are that, you know, has their own hopes and dreams and fears and needs and wants and desires and 
their own problems, uh, their own life going on. <clears throat> and I think if you, I think if you think about it in those terms, I think if you think about, you know, okay, this person, you know, gave me a bad time in a code review. Uh, why are they so mean? Well, they're probably not. Uh, but also, do you want to be the person giving someone a bad time in a code review? And have the person on the other end of that thinking that you're being mean to them just because? No, you don't. So it's two ways. Uh, you have to you have to give as good as you get. Um, but that's, you know, that's what I really try to drill in. I try to bring that perspective to a lot of things that I do. Um, you know, not just not just mentoring, but really all of the all of the work I do, all of my, you know, the technical, I guess, leadership work that I do uh, as well. Where, you know, it's always the case. It's always the case that, um, you know, it's a, any decision that we make is going to make things better or worse for somebody. And it's it's super important to consider how that, you know, how that balance shakes out from, you know, in a technical perspective, from a, at a product level perspective, even. Right. Um, so there's, you know, that touches everything, but that's really, that's what I like to get people to try to think about, because I think that really, I think it makes you a good person, frankly, a better person. Uh, and I think it makes you a better engineer and a better product strategic thinker as well. I agree. Um, and then, do you see open source? It's hard to say play. I mean, open source plays a role in just about anything. But do you think there's more mentorship needed around open source? I well, I definitely think there's more empathy needed around open source. Uh, I can tell you that much. Um, yeah, I. This is this is a complicated question. I don't. And I have complicated feelings about open source. Um, I don't feel like I have kind of the the ethical ground to encourage people to get deep into open source. Frankly, uh, I think there's too many too many issues that can happen there. Um, now, having having said that, it is also a huge opportunity. Uh, you know, out especially, you know, here at Mozilla, everybody can just see everything that I'm doing, right? It's all it's all got my name on it, it's all got my email address on it, you know, people can just contact me and talk to me. Uh and that's you know, that's a huge opportunity because it allows people, you know, not only people that we're already mentoring to, you know, be able to have their work get out there in the same way, it also allows people to you know, see what the rest of us are doing and learn from us and kind of have, have a foot in the door of that environment. Uh, so it gives, you know, it gives us tools as well to, to make that better, to kind of allow people into that world. Um, and, you know, once we've done that, it's where it gets complicated. Yep. And we'll dig into that a little bit more in a second. Um, so, as you mentioned, you're at Mozilla and you work on Firefox. Um, Firefox is probably one of the largest and most successful open source projects out there. Um, people have mixed feelings about it at the moment, uh, which I understand. But at the same time, I still... I also have mixed feelings about it at the moment. So, <laughs> so um, But with all of that said, it is a great project. It serves a very important role in the web ecosystem. And um, I surely hope it sticks around for a long time in the future. Uh, with all of that said, could you expand a little more on what exactly your role is on the Firefox project and then how folks can potentially contribute to Firefox? Because I think a lot of people don't know that you can. Those are both pretty big questions. Uh, so my my role specifically, I've I've been at Mozilla for long enough that I've I've had my hand in a number of different cookie jars over the years. So I, right, right now I'm a technical lead on the Firefox desktop front end team. Um, so I don't really write a lot of code anymore, uh, which is fine by me. I realize 
A lot of engineers would think I'm absolutely out of my mind for saying that. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing a lot more, uh, kind of coaching and sort of at a prod, a product project management level. We have actual project managers, but that like that sort of level is where I'm at now. I don't do so much day-to-day engineering anymore there. Uh, but you know, some other cookie jars I have my hand in. I'm also, I also sort of consult a bit on, uh, windows OS integration projects. Um, because that's sort of a specialty of mine and, uh, we're in need of that, in need of that type of expertise at Mozilla. Uh, if you have that and you're interesting and you're interested, uh, careers.mozilla.org is there for you. Um, so yeah, I just, I do some of that work. I used to work on, I, I used to be the, the engineering lead for the, uh, desktop Firefox installers and the app update feature. Uh, so I do still kind of contribute to those areas from time to time as well. Uh, but mainly front end technical leadership is where I'm at nowadays. There's a really cool website, uh, called what can I do for Mozilla.org? Uh, which is a really good, you know, nice, a cool way of presenting like all the different things that you can do for Mozilla, because there's a lot, uh, this is, I realize this is kind of a common refrain that you get from a lot of open source projects, but it's really, it's really not just code. Uh, if you want to write code, um, you can, you can go to bugzilla.mozilla.org and look for, just search for a good first bug and you'll find so, so many things that are ready to pick up and work on, uh, and, you know, get your, get your feet wet as it were in the, in various Mozilla code bases, not, not even just Firefox desktop. Um, so there's that, but there's also, you know, we need, uh, all of our, all of our language translation work is volunteer, right? So we have, we distribute Firefox in over a hundred languages. We almost always only write messages in English. Uh, and we have volunteers that generate all 100 of those other translations. Uh, which is incredible and just, I'm so grateful that that work happens and it's such an incredible superpower for us. Uh, and you know, we need people that can work on that. Uh, really, you don't really even have to know English. It would help to even just translate from another language, uh, into, into, uh, a language that we're missing, we're missing translations for. Even that would be amazing. Uh, so there's that. There's... A, if you, you know, if you want to write, there's always a metric ton of things that we need documented. Uh, you could talk more about MDN than I could, but you know, there's also the Firefox, the Firefox documentation, which is always lacking and always, always in need of, you know, a huge amount of work, uh, to, you know, make things easier for everybody. There's that, uh, there's, you know, there's just kind of being being part of the community and just you know being there to talk about the work that we do and the products and you know kind of give you know bringing us feedback uh on Mozilla Connect is a great a great thing that we I I swear we do actually read that stuff uh it does make it to to my level uh when you know people have good ideas in there uh <laughs> So, you know, that's, that is actually valued feedback that yeah, we actually use. I can vouch for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of different things you can do. Um, you know, if none of that sounds interesting, uh, contact me. I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you about individual things that you want to do. And I can maybe, I can, you know, offer to hook you up to make introductions to, you know, anybody in any particular area, whatever you want. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so getting back to what we started kind of digging into a bit earlier, uh, on a mutual Slack server, uh, somebody shared a link to a study that aims to understand toxicity in open source discussions, specifically as how they, they stated it. Um, it's a big topic. It's like a 13-pager document, so it's no small thing. Um, 
and one of the reasons why this conversation is happening is because you made a comment in the thread um, where this, this document was shared, which made me stop and pause for a second because I'm not naive in thinking that open source is filled with unicorns and um, moonshine and you know roses. I am very aware that there's some some not so great things happening, but I'm also passionate about wanting to surface this one so that we can talk about it, so that we can potentially, hopefully, make it better, so that the ecosystem is healthier. Because as they say, the world runs on open source. So if we want a healthy ecosystem with healthy software and healthy maintainers, we better acknowledge the problems like we are not acknowledging a lot of problems in the world now, which is really good because no one gets attention. And um, I always, the last couple of years, I've always used accessibility as one of these topics that's always kind of been swept under the rug until a lot of noise is made around it. And now it's getting so much better because there's tooling, there's people who really care passionately about it. And so the web is better for everyone because people are taking accessibility more serious. Um, that's a long way of saying that you seem to have had some particularly toxic experiences, which have kind of put you off open source in some ways, which is tricky because you work for what some would call an open source company. Um, so. I would love for you to just like dig into that a little bit and share what you can and what you feel comfortable to do and just have a conversation about what have you had and what do you think, like why and what can we do about it? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's complicated. Um, I do work for an open source company and I'm, I'm happy to do that. I would like, I would like for us to kind of reevaluate the relationship we have with that community. Uh, I think... And to be clear, I am coming at this from a position where I have zero say over this whatsoever. I'm not an expert. Nothing I say matters. Um, but I, I think that we would not have been able to get to where we are as, as Mozilla and as Firefox without open source. I think that's plainly evident. I don't, it doesn't even, doesn't even bear discussion. It's so obvious. Um, but also if you, if you look at where we are as Mozilla and as Firefox, uh, you said it earlier, there's a lot of mixed feelings. Um, and I, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how related those two facts are. I think they're probably fairly closely related. Uh, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, I, so... I don't know. I don't know that I would say I've had a lot of personal experiences myself because I always kind of um I'm a I'm a naturally super anxious person. So I I tend to kind of stay out of like super public spaces where I would be putting myself out there much anyway. So like by the time I got to a point in my life where I felt like I would be comfortable doing a lot of open source work. Uh, I feel like that well was already poisoned for me. Um, like I, I grew up, I started, um, I was, I was learning and messing with Linux, uh, in about, I think it was 2004. Uh, so I've, I've been in there a minute and back then, like I had, I had, okay, I had this dream where, like, I'm going to have my name in the kernel contribution someday, right? It's right next to all the other names that contribute kernel patches. My name's going to be there. Uh, and now I would never touch that project with a 39 and a half foot pole. Uh, it's just not worth it. Um, because the whole the whole environment over there is so so built around this one way of working that is extremely uninclusive and you know it works it works great for the people that are there and that kind of started it uh you know good for them i guess but it keeps out so many other people it's just it's just not a pleasant place to be uh for anyone else um, and 
you know, it's not, it's, it's pretty entrenched. It's not an easy problem. Like, you know, Linus himself had that, had that kind of moment a few years back where he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some time off to become a nicer person. And when I come back, I'm going to be a nicer person. And then he came back and said, okay, I'm going to be a nicer person now. And then he was exactly the same person. Nothing has actually changed whatsoever. So it's not, it's not something that you can wave a magic wand at and have it go away. Like that's just how, that's just how those, honestly, I think it's how those people are. I think it's just how those people think and work and communicate. Uh, and you know, there's been this kind of, there's this kind of attitude that it doesn't, it doesn't matter, uh, how that affects anybody else because, you know, you should just have a thicker skin or whatever, you know, you should be able to take criticism and, you know, anybody that says that should be forced to pretend to be a woman on the internet for a week, uh, and see how that goes for them. It's not going to go very well, I assure you. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I feel about it. And that's, that's, you know, that's why I harp so much as I was doing earlier on empathy, right? Like we can think about, you know, we can think about it in terms of software and we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll get to where we are in the open source world, basically, if we do that. Uh, or we can think about it in terms of humans, right? What are we, what are we building for people? First of all. What are we, what effect is the thing we're building having on people, first of all? That, that already in and of itself is such a hugely inclusive angle to come at it from. Like, you'll get so much more interest from a, such a more diverse population just by taking that attitude. Uh, but then also, you know, what are we, what are we doing that might have the effect of bringing people into our community? What are we doing that might have the effect of keeping people out of our community? Uh, what, you know, what behaviors are we encouraging by, you know, how we apply whatever code of conduct we have? If you don't have a code of conduct, uh, I don't think, I don't think that project and I have anything to talk about. Uh, that's, you know, if you have, I I recently saw this thing called Code of Merit that people are doing, uh, which I, I like a lot, actually, because it gives me a nice, convenient list of all the projects that have signed on to that, and therefore of all the projects that I never want to interact with in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's really nice to have that just all laid out in one place like that. It's very convenient for me. Uh, don't, don't do that, to be clear. Uh, meritocracy is fake you have been lied to um but yeah like that's that's what it's about for me is you have to think about obviously you don't have to uh people have gotten very far without it but i think it's better if you think about what uh uh what what your like overall impact on the world is and your uh, impact on your community and what kind of community you're going to build uh, around your project because that's that's what open source really is. It's not software, it's communities. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things in there like the anxiety aspect, I share that um, mm. definitely, uh, which is why I'm continuously fascinated that I put myself in situations like hosting podcasts and talking on the internet and working on open source projects. It's like, <laughs> do I like to torture myself? What's going on? Um, yeah, it's odd, right? Like I, I mentioned earlier, I was working on, you know, Firefox app update, which is not, that's not a low stress field, you know, like that people, people burn out working on that because it's so, like everything you do has the potential to just ruin the entire product, right? Like if you break something in update, you can't update out of it, right? Because you broke the updater. It's it's over now. You've lost users, right? Forever. Um, somehow that never stressed me out. <laughs> I never really felt that stress. I don't, 
I don't understand why, because everyone else clearly does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why that never got to me. But so many other things, I get so hugely anxious over. It's bizarre. Yeah. Maybe it's the human thing. I wish I understood myself better is the question. Yeah. Don't feel... Yeah. I think you're, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the human thing. I think it's when the human interaction is toxic, when it really gets to you, if you are empathic um, by nature. Whereas when it's software, you are more, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's not like we should treat machines like crap or anything, but I mean, th- there's a different relationship when you're looking at a string of code than when you're looking at a human being. Um and if, it's, if, if a program crashes, you don't take it as personally as when somebody insults you in a pull request. Um, those are very different experiences. So, and I, I agree that I think the human aspect has been missing from open source for the longest time. And I think that is why people have had this notion of, um, sure, this is free and I can technically contribute and fix this thing, but I'm going to instead scream at you for having not fixed this yet, um, even though I work for a multi-billion dollar company that is making money off of your software. Um, and making no contributions to it whatsoever. Yeah. I'm just going to demand free support from you. Ex- yeah. Exactly. I think that's, that's the environment we have here. Yeah. So I think that's <laughs> where the human aspect is missing. It's not seen as humans or communities creating software. It's just seen as something that's powering a business and now something's wrong and you're making me lose money. Um, and I, I do think that if we can if we can make people realize that no, these are communities of human beings taking for what is of the most for the most part their free time to create this stuff, sometimes to scratch an own itch, but they're still making it available to you to use, and they're not asking you for shares, they're not even asking you to acknowledge their existence, but they're they are asking you to at least be. Uh, compassionate when something's wrong and be willing to contribute back in whichever way it makes most sense for you, whether that is financially or whether that's by writing code or writing documentation or filing a bug and then waiting um, for it to be fixed. Yeah, or even just like, I don't I, I don't require people uh, to um, like to write patches for me to you know feel good about them as a member of the community right if you write a good bug report i'm thrilled with you you will be you will be my favorite person that week if i get a good bug report that you submitted uh if you write a bug report that's not very good uh i'll i'll work with you about it and try to make it better and if you know if you're willing to work with me on it then yeah you're we're we're cool um you know, so I'll I'll give people leeway. Just don't you know, don't be uh, the hacker news crowd, and show up to everything just to complain about it and talk about how you could do everything better than the people actually doing it. Yeah, I think they call it swoop and poop. I just call I just call it hacker news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think that is that is something to to like a good bug report is like worth a million dollars and oh totally and if you're willing to work with somebody i think that's great um don't do the thing where you're like well i told you something's broken you figure the rest out it's like that's not helping your case either by the way just so you know um if you're willing to help me a little bit you know maybe it'll take a bit longer because this is asynchronous so you know there's time zones and all this good stuff but if I say, well, you know what, I've tried to, I can't quite replicate. Can you tell me this? What is your machine specs? Maybe because maybe that's important for me to be able to diagnose this problem. Um, coming back to me with that is cool. Like I can give you a URL that you can just open and it'll tell me your specs. Um, but be willing to have a conversation. Don't just go like, hey, there you go. It's broken. Now you fix it. Yeah, I think that's great. And again, it's the human thing, right? Yeah. It's the human thing. Exactly. We have we have that URL. It's called about support. Uh, we use it all the time in exactly this way. Yeah, exactly. I'll have a conversation like this because I think if people hear it, also maybe it'll trigger something. I'm, I'm fascinated that the Linux project is what it is with all the warts um, that they have and all this. Yeah, it's fascinating that it just 
it still exists and it's still as popular and as successful as it is. Yeah, I I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's fascinating that it still exists. Um, I think that's I I mean I think it fills it it fills some pretty clear needs uh, that that were out there when it was created and that never stopped being out there. Um, I think you know I have a lot of other problems with it. Obviously, uh, we could you know. We can get into my hot operating system takes, but I don't think it's a very good operating system. Uh, it's fine. Obviously, to be successful, it didn't really need to be. Uh, it just it needed to, to serve real needs, which it does. Um, but, you know, the way the way that things are run over there, where there's this this sort of rigid hierarchy uh, that all feeds up to Linus. Um, I feel like you know, I feel like the way of working definitely encourages sort of I guess, Linusism, I guess, like acting like Linus, uh, you know, not just just being unnecessarily abrasive and I don't want to say toxic, but just just mean, right? Like it's not necessary. You can tell people what you think without calling them stupid. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no reason to go there. Do you think that um, maybe the reason why you feel comfortable and why you've been at Mozilla for this long, even though it's also out in the open and open source, is it maybe because there is more of this human thing? This human aspect is a little more prominent here? I, I think it's definitely true. Um I think we I think we do a better job of it than a lot of tech companies do. I think we could still do a much better job than we do. Uh and you know, there's there's problems that we're aware of, there's internal problems that I'm not going to get into. Uh but I I I I do think we do a, a much better job of this than a a huge amount of other companies and a lot of other tech companies as well. Um and I think a lot of that is because of just the you know, the kind of people that we attract. Um, now that uh, now that we have salary ranges on public job postings, I can talk about this openly, we don't pay as much as a lot of other companies do. Um, so, you know, we need for people to be okay with that, which is, which is a, a diversity problem, right? Like we need, we need people who can afford to make less money than they would elsewhere. Um, it's not good, but there's not much we can do about it. We don't have the budget. Uh, but it also means that, you know, we, it, we're specifically selecting out people who are there to make a lot of money because you cannot make a lot of money at Mozilla. Uh, you know, we don't pay that much. We literally don't have stock. So you can't, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of shares that you can cash in. It's, just, it's not a thing we even have, uh, there's one. There's exactly 100 shares of the Mozilla Corporation, and all of them are owned by the Mozilla Foundation. That's it, right? There's nothing there. Um, so I, I think a lot of you know, I think we do attract people that are interested, interested more in types of things that the tech industry at large is less interested in. Um, that's not you know. I don't just mean in terms of money. I mean largely in terms of money, but also, you know, overall, a lot of different things. And I do think that helps, you know, create the environment that we have. I also think we have, like, specific individual people. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna shout out Mike Hoy here, who I think does a really, really tremendous job of keeping this, you know, this mini-faceted thing called the Mozilla community on a good footing. Uh, and, you know, kind of helping, helping keep our public presence kind of in the general vicinity of where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so I think we've had, I think we've had a lot of help from, from specific people there as well. Mm, yeah, 100% agree. Mike's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed with his feedback and the way he thinks and the way he speaks about stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's so, he's really insightful about, about this kind of thing. Um, He's a great writer too. Check out check out Mike Hoy's blog. It's an amazing read. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's recently also, if people want to have a, a really interesting listen um, on the Mozilla Developer um, YouTube channel, there was a community chat recently, um, and he was one of the speakers talking about the whole history of the MDM community right back from the Netscape days all the way up to today. That was really interesting. Awesome. Like walking down memory lane kind of thing, which is really cool. So, uh, also on Polywork, <laughs> you mentioned that you're, and you've mentioned this in, in the intro, if you're interested in retro computing and especially gaming, and you're hoping to someday find a way to bring those two worlds together. Um, there's one project that you called out that I want us to talk about, um, the Z80 CPU simulator that was well received. Oh, yeah. But then um, I'm just wondering in general, uh, the last piece of that phrase, they're hoping to someday find a way to bring those worlds together. I saw in your uh, GitLab repos, there's one called ECMA Boy, which is a really cool name if you know what it's about. <laughs> so I'd love for you to talk about the Z80 CPU simulator and then ECMA Boy. Yeah, the well, the Z80 simulator actually kind of came out of, of ECMA Boy uh, a little bit. I didn't, I couldn't use it there for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, there was, this has been, this has been some years ago now, but there was a period where I was playing with uh, writing emulators for old game consoles uh, in, you know, just in plain JavaScript as web apps. Uh, at the time I was doing it partly as a way to learn JavaScript, but then I just thought it was fun. Uh, so I kept doing it. And I, uh, the first one I did was a, was an NES emulator, which I called JSES, uh, the JavaScript entertainment system. Uh, and then I started working on ECMA Boy after that, which is a, a Game Boy slash Game Boy Color emulator. That one's, that one's probably my most successful console emulator in that it's the most, uh, complete and compatible, uh, that I ever did. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's done pretty well for itself. Um, I don't like I don't host it as an app anywhere because there's way better web-based Game Boy emulators out there that if you actually want to use one you should go you should go do those instead. Um but you know, it was fun to work on and I'm happy with it and fairly proud of it. Uh the the Z80 simulator, if you're if you're unfamiliar with what a Z80 is, uh it's a very very early microprocessor uh, integrated circuit, like one of the first, one of the first batch of things that can be called a microprocessor. Uh, you know, it was a follow-on from from the Intel eighty eighty. Uh, that was kind of, I think it was kind of a personal vendetta uh, to kind of make a better chip than the eighty eighty, uh, and it, it kind of is. Um, but yeah, it's the the Z eighty was used as the CPU in a huge, huge array of computer computer systems and gaming systems and embedded devices and all kinds of things uh, for a period of, of... I mean, you can still buy them. Like, you, there's... They make new Z80s that you can buy today. It's still used. That's how enduring and how, you know, what, what the level of impact that chip had. Um, so I, I got to working on one, uh, on a Z80 simulator, uh, when I started emulating the Sega Game Gear. Uh, no particular reason I picked that one, just, it's a machine I had as a kid, and I thought was cool. Uh, and not too many other people think is cool. <laughs> so I, you know, I started working on it, and the CPU that's in there, uh, is, is a Z80, um, the the Game Gear is literally just a portableized version of the Sega Master System. It is the same hardware, uh, except that they added a couple video modes to it, um, and the screen is smaller and worse. Uh, but yeah, the Z80 is the processor that's in there. It's just a regular off-the-shelf Z80. So I started writing a simulator uh, for that chip to use in that emulator, and then I realized, well so many other different things used that processor. Uh, you know, why don't I, why don't I break that off into its own project and, uh, you know, make it available as a, as a separate module. And by, you know, by my standards of, 
you know, how, how, uh, successful an open source project is, which low does not describe them. Uh, the bar is not on the floor. You have to dig under the floor to, to see where the bar is for my, for my standards for open source success. That's far and away the most successful project I've, I've personally, personally run. Um, I know, you know, I know of a couple, uh, other, you know, apps that I didn't even know existed before. I don't know how they found me. Uh, but they, you know, they took up that Z80 to use in their own emulators for various obscure machines. Uh, there's one that's running in a, in a web-based emulator for the Bally Astrocade, uh, which I had heard of before, but I don't think anyone else has. Yeah, I have not. <laughs> so that's the level, like that's, the, but that's the level of depth that you get into with that thing. That's how, you know, it was used so widely and in so many things, right? That's, you know, anybody that comes along and wants to implement a Bally Astrocade, uh, somebody did, and they needed a Z80. So it was there. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think that's an important thing, um, even though you you say the bar is very low, it's so low, it's underneath the floor. I think it's something that a lot of people forget when they think about open source. I think I think that project I think that project has 50 stars on GitHub. Uh so like I said by my standards that's huge. <laughs> I think that's more than that that's a decent number of stars. Um but I think the larger topic around that is that a lot of people I don't know they think like I'm going to create this thing and then I'm going to put it on GitHub and then many people are going to love it and there's going to be stars and forks and issues and first of all it's a lot of work if that happens um secondly yeah you've you've made so much trouble for yourself <laughs> secondly i think that's not necessarily how open source started i think it was like with many hobby kind of things it was actually a way where people were scratching their own itch and they were like i had this problem i solved it i might as well put it out there you know, maybe somebody else finds yeah. it useful, and then somebody, somebody on somebody on the mailing list will be interested in this. Yeah, and then, and then you put it I'll out just, there. You know, here's a patch. Yeah, somebody finds it interesting and picks it up, and I think even if just one other person have found what you've done useful, that's success. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe social media has played a role in this, as it seems to play a role in everything. Um, in that we measure ourselves based on things like stores and, and likes and stuff like this. And the more you can have, the more successful you are, which is a total false metric, but there it is. So I think people need to not, you know, <laughs> don't, don't tell, don't tell Elon Musk that. <laughs> yeah, no, thankfully I'm not on Twitter anymore. So he doesn't, you don't know anything I say. Yeah, I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I think like don't be put off by that. If you've made something you're proud of, just put it out there. And if you're learning, put it out mm -hmm. there. Like, you know, totally. I think even though we talked about toxicity and stuff like that, you know, for the most part it's decent people out there. Um just be careful of the communities you involve yourself with, I think. That's that's such a huge lesson there too. Like if you if you're like, you know, if you're anything like me, uh, you think everything that you've ever done is garbage. Uh, put it out there anyway. Somebody won't won't agree with you. Uh, and even if they do, you know, the fact that the fact that you think it's garbage, like you've you've learned something. You know why it's garbage. You can do better next time, right? So yeah. make the garbage make the garbage thing. Just just make it. Yeah, no, for sure. I. I hold you won't on. regret it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I often write code that I'm then like, I wish I could ask somebody if this is crap or if it's not. Mm. Because I would love to know if it is yeah. bad. Because then I can learn, okay, so if this is not the right way to do it or the best way to do it, would you mind telling me how to do it better? Because I'd honestly love to learn. And I mean, sure, it's a bit of a hit to the ego and all of that, but that's okay, you know. I, you'll get over it eventually. Um, just start, I think, change your mindset from, oh my goodness, I made something that somebody said is bad to, I tried something, I didn't quite succeed, 
are you willing to help me? And honestly, if the person is not willing to, you should probably take their their what they said with a grain of salt because this seems like somebody that's not a very nice person. Because I'll definitely not just go to somebody's repo and say, this is horrible. And if they tell me, oh, but how would you improve it? Just not, you know, ghost them. I would then, if I honestly had a valuable insight, I would, first of all, probably not say it in those words. Um, but I would come back and say, well, in fact, actually, you could do this and this in a different way. And this is why it's better, because X, Y, Z. Um, and so if you have that experience, that is, that's the person you should listen to, not the one that swoops and poops and what you did. Totally. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, we did just, we did just have this whole conversation about how toxic this world can be, right? You're taking a risk. You are making yourself vulnerable when you put anything out into the world, right? We need to acknowledge that. That's just, that's just the truth, right? The platform's... The platforms that, you know, we trust with these things, the GitHubs of the world, uh, are absolutely god-awful at protecting people from any of these things, right? Like, they don't even, they, they don't really try. Uh, I don't think they would know what to do if they did. Um, so you are, you know, you're, you're exposing yourself. You're giving yourself some vulnerability. It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. Um, so, you know, we have to, it's, it's a step, it's a step to take. Um, it's, it's an important step on, you know, on, I'm speaking very, very generally now, whatever, whatever journey, whatever journey you want to be on in your life, you know, it's, it's an important step to be, you know, to have, to make things and to finish things and to put them out there. Uh, but it's risky. It is. It is. It is. I, I feel for it. I understand it. When I did my first things in the open, it was very scary. Now it's so second nature for me that I sometimes forget how scary it can be. Um, but yeah, it's worth it in the long run. I mean, I've learned to it's, it's a lot scarier. It's a lot scarier for some people than for other oh, people. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, I am very aware of that fact. I am privileged in a lot of ways um, on that front, and um, I don't forget it. Um, that's why I want to give back in any way, shape, or form that I can um, to help others have a better experience, um, no matter where they come from or who they are. Um, so you also wrote a blog post titled Fixing a Security Bug by Changing a Function Signature for the Mozilla Attack and Defense Blog, which, oh, goodness. by the way, I didn't even know existed. Now I do, and now I'm going to follow yeah. it because there's some really, really great cool. security stuff in there. But uh, There's awesome stuff there, yeah. Yeah, totally. I would love to learn more about that because if you read it, it's like, what? It changes function signature and software security? Thing? That's, yeah, like I, I, I did that and then I realized like immediately that this was a legitimate security bug and I fixed it and my patch literally just changes the type of a function parameter. There's, there's something there, right? Like I knew immediately that there was, there was a story that I could tell. Um, so I started, I started writing that post for my, my personal blog, which is deeply unloved. Um, and I showed it to, to some friends, um, one of whom, you know, uh, works on the team, uh, of the person who runs the attack and defense blog. Uh, so that's, that's how it ended up there instead of on my personal blog. Um, but yeah, it turns out, um, that C is a horrible language, uh, and has this, this thing called implicit promotion, uh, where, you can think that you have one type of integer, but in fact, you actually have a different type of integer and the compiler will not tell you this. You just have to know that these are things that happen. Uh, so, and I honestly, I, I would have to read the post myself to remember a lot of the details, but we had a situation where a, a, a parameter was being cast, not cast, implicitly converted from unsigned to signed upon being being passed into a function. And that function would then use that as 
a uh i believe an allocation size um so it was a way it was a way to do a denial of service attack on the updater basically uh you could effectively crash it and prevent it from running an update by supplying it with an update file that had a you know huge almost overflowing size field in it uh because we would try to allocate the world um and yeah it was just it was strictly uh the c language saying you have to do this conversion to make this number completely nonsensical uh you know the compiler is just gonna do that uh so i fixed the bug by you know changing the type to an unsigned one so that that's that conversion doesn't happen and we keep a sane number throughout um you should read the blog post i i go into honestly probably too much detail uh <laughs> I explain how binary arithmetic works if you don't, if you're unfamiliar with that. So no matter what, like, level of background knowledge you're at, you should still be able to get something out of it. That was my goal. Yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a wild time. I like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was submitting that patch. I just, I, I already, like, kind of hated C and C++. Now I extremely hate C and C++. Oh, that's interesting. I want those things eradicated from the earth. <laughs> uh, so much of the world is written in that though, right? That's fine. <laughs> Re rewrite everything in Rust. I don't mind, I don't mind that. <laughs> we'll, we'll recover. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I like Rust a lot. I don't even care if it's Rust. Use whatever you like. Mm -hmm. Rewrite the world in fourth. I don't care. <laughs> just get, just relieve me of C++, please. Rewrite the world in Commodore Basic. It'll be better than this. Well, wow, this has been a really great conversation. I'm so glad this happened. I just have one broad topic to end on, but you can make it as narrow as, as, as it need be. And we kind of touched on this earlier. Um, so how do we make tech more ethical? And who can we look to for inspiration here? Oh gosh, who can we look to for inspiration? I have no idea. I don't. I don't know that anyone has done this well. That's a fair response. Um, the so the problem. The here we go. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a pronouncement about the problem. Uh, honestly, the problem is money. Like every everything that drives how horrible the tech sector is and how much of a dumpster fire every big tech startup is, and this absolute, just blazing fire conflagration that we have made of the world, all comes down to people making money, right? And trying to make more money than they were already making, which is usually already a lot of money. That's what it's all, that's, that's it. That's all of it. That's everything. Everything comes back to that. Right. If you think about why, you know, why Facebook is the way it is and, you know, all of the horrific things that come with that and all of the bad things that it's been responsible for. The reason it does all those things is money. That's why it works the way it does. Right. It's all about making more money. And that's you can take that out as far as you want it. It's going to keep being true. Um. Perhaps the one exception is Elon Musk buying Twitter, which was about his ego. Uh, but he had enough money that he doesn't care. Uh, he'll be fine. So there's that. Um, but, <laughs> but most of the time, um, it's, it's about money. And that's like, I don't know how to fix that. Right? Like the... The, the incentive structure that people have to work under in a capitalist economy leads inherently to the tech industry that we have. It just follows directly from our economic system. Um, that's what, you know, 
It's it, literally anything I can talk about. That's what encourages people to build these uh these AIs that you know paid paid zero attention whatsoever to the human cost of what they're building because it's going to allow them to make I, and I'm I'm going to use the biggest air quotes in the history of humanity here creative output uh more more cheaply than it could be done before that's all that matters right the fact that it's on the fact that it's on the backs of all of this labor from so many other people generating this output that you've used to train your thing over you know so many so many years and decades and centuries and the fact that it's on the back of the the labor today of these criminally underpaid workers uh in you know countries around the world none of that matters because it's all about making more money that's all that matters it's not about you know it's not it's not about the human cost at all it's not about uh long-termism or effective altruism or whatever whatever kool-aid people are drinking this week it's all in the service of making more money today right that's that's where all of these problems come from you can't you can't that's yeah that's part of it um but also just not just not caring enough about what you're doing now today to people because you have no incentive to like we don't we don't give people any reason to care uh our you know our systems are in the united states certainly our systems are set up to explicitly discourage you from caring um so you know i don't know i i don't honestly i don't think there's a way to fix that without just completely re-architecting society from the ground up. Um, which, uh, I mean, is a solution that I would advocate for, honestly. I, I, it's far-fetched, but it's all we got. So, do not end us on a, a completely morbid note. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to do. That's hard to do in a conversation with me. That's fine, that's fine. Do you see, <laughs> do you see where do you find a glimmer of hope within all of this? Do you find joy? Oh, goodness. That's joy, love, beauty. Do you find it in nature? Do you find it in the people that surround you? I'll be honest. It's, it's hard. They're few and far in between, um, especially these days. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little, a little personal, personal and vulnerable here. Um, I, I am a transgender woman myself. I find a lot of inspiration and a lot of joy in the trans community where, you know, people, people discovering themselves and, you know, doing that work to understand who they are. And then that moment where they realize it, that's that's huge. That's so great just to see that magic happen. And then, and then these people have the courage to live that way. Despite, despite all of the BS that you face, like when you come out as transgender, you are making so much trouble for yourself. You are opting in to so many problems, but it's worth it. That's, because of that, because you're going to reach that level of joy just from, and it's, and it just comes from within you. That's just, that's, that's real happiness, right? You get to see that. And, you know, in, in this community, you get to see that on people's faces every day. And it's just, it's, there's nothing better. It's the best. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's about right there. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I do think in being finally, to finally be able to accept who you are and not just accept, 
love who you are, I think is a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, I've had absolutely with mental wellness, and mm-hmm. while while some of it is controlled by medication, a lot of it is because I've made peace with a lot of things in my life and a lot of things about me um, that I might not be so proud of, or that it's just stuff that's. They say the body keeps the score, you know, stuff that I don't even know about that comes yeah. from previous lifetimes or previous ancestors and things, yep. but it's, it's in my bones. Yep. And so it, it manifests in different ways. So having been able to deal with that and accept it was goddamn difficult, but it's worth it in the end, because once you've been able absolutely to look is. at yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, you're not that bad of a person you're actually quite a decent dude <laughs> good on you <laughs> you're trying to do something 100 percent. i think that's 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 100 percent. yeah we should all strive for yeah that. just the ability the ability to accept yourself yeah and the freedom that that gives you to live oh yeah for sure is just is inspiring yeah i agree I think that's a beautiful way to end it. Um, thanks so much for joining me, Molly. I hope this, as your first podcast, was a good experience yeah. and that you will do more of these because you have a lot of great knowledge to share. Oh, thank you for saying that. I had a, yeah, I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a huge pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep all the things open.